With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. And today I'm excited to introduce you to Kristen Higgins. Kristen has sold 4.5 million books worldwide, scored nine New York Times bestsellers, and is published in more than two dozen languages. Her novels have received rave reviews from the New York Times, NPR, and regularly receive national media attention from People, Entertainment Weekly, Women's World, and more. Her latest book, Out of the Clear Blue Sky, is a story of betrayal, revenge, and healing. And those are three of my favorite food groups here today <laughs> to talk about that and more is Kristen Higgins. Kristen, welcome to Uncorking a Story. Well, thank you, Mike. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here, Kristen. I have to ask you uh, the same question I ask all of my guests out of the gate is, uh, where does your story as an author begin? Well, I was a reader, you know, and uh, books were my favorite thing next to my horse. Um, and I never thought about being a writer as, you know, a profession. I just, I just like to read. I, I felt like I was a good enough writer. I worked in advertising after college, but my, uh, my writer origin story was I was a stay-at-home mom. My husband was working two jobs. The kids were approaching school age. And I thought I really should, you know, give my husband a break and bring in some, some money on my own. And, um, but I don't want to leave home. I want to stay home with the kitties. And so I thought, you know, maybe I could write a book because I've read so many. <laughs> How hard could it be? <laughs> famous, famous uh, starting words. <laughs> right. And um, so I did. I worked on a romantic comedy because I felt like people would like to read that. It's pretty universal desire to laugh when you read a book. And so I, um, I wrote one. Actually, my first book is also set on Cape Cod and sent it out to some agents, got an agent. She sold the book and kind of without my knowledge, I became an author for 20 years now, you know? <laughs> um, it, was, it was not really planned. I thought, all right, maybe I can sell a book or two. I didn't expect to have 22. 
So wow. here we are today. That, that's a great story. And just, I mean, did it happen that fast? I mean, writing the book, finding the agent. I mean, that seems kind of uh, kind of like a dream situation. But did did it really happen that fast for you? No, <laughs> no um, <laughs> I imagine publishing, it didn't. Publishing has its own time. You know, they'll say like next week, and they mean three months from now, and that right. kind of thing. Um, I had to learn a lot about how to get the attention of an agent, for example. I knew I wanted an agent because, you know, business is not my thing. So I just, you know, smothered people in mail. And this was back in the days where you mailed out a synopsis, a cover letter, the first three chapters, and it would sit in an agent's office in what they call the slush pile, which I've seen. And it, it really is like a pile of massive piles. It could build a house out of them um, of, of manuscripts or um, hopefuls querying these agents. So I, I did that. And then I thought I'm getting, I'm getting rejected constantly and very quickly. And I was thinking, are people reading my books or am I just doing this wrong? You know, so, or reading my submission or am I just, am I just doing this wrong? So I did a little research. I honed my pitch to one sentence, sent it out in email form and said, if you'd like to see it, contact me. And then the um, offers started, started coming in. I think you have to understand the publishing world and, and the agenting world, um, sending something in blind is never a good idea. You should always have somebody waiting for it or requesting it. And so it probably took me eight months to get an agent. Um, it took me a, about two years to write my first book because I, I wrote it very quickly in, in my own mind, six months. And then I revised it uh, for a year and a half, because I knew it had to be as good as it could possibly be in order to get published. You don't send in a pretty good book, you know? So I had some friends read it and comment on it. And um, I revised it again and again. And so an agent did read um, the, the blurb, you know, the, the pitch. And she said, sure, send me the first three chapters. And then later that week, she said, send me the whole thing. And um, so once she read it, I had an agent within about six weeks um, and then selling it was her job. So she went around to all the different imprints at all the different publishers. And, um, and I was actually rejected by every publisher except one and one is all it takes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for rounding out that story for me. I have sure. to ask uh, about the horse. Um, <laughs> you mentioned you were uh... Did you grow up with horses? I grew up with a horse. Yeah. Um, I begged my father for, you know, 11 years, the first 11 years of my life. And um, he got me a horse for my birthday. This crazy wild Appaloosa that no child should have been riding, but I loved her. And um, she'd get out of the field. She'd jump the fence and run down the street to the neighbor's yard. And, you know, it was quite an adventure having that horse. <laughs> my uh, my mother had a horse uh, when oh, yeah? she turned when she turned sixteen. She loves telling the story. She's like, all my friends got cars, and I got a horse. Uh, <laughs> her horse was named Kippy, and um, my my mother grew up in Brooklyn, uh, New York. But my grandmother's her mother's sister lived like way in the country in New York, and they had a oh, farm. Nice. So she had she had this horse in the farm that she spent uh, all summer with. And, um, you know, my mother is, you know, she's, she's going to turn 80, 90 years old this summer. And out of the blue, she's like, you know, I wonder, I wonder if Kippy is still around. And I'm, like, I'm like, mom, I, um, <laughs> I have some unfortunate news to share with you. 
it's more than likely <laughs> that Kippy has gone to the great beyond. She's yeah. like, oh yes. And then she realizes what she was thinking. And, yeah. Right, right. So, oh, well, so sweet. Bad. We'll see you at the rainbow bridge, right? That exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of which, I have a dog. I have a golden retriever who's like 16 years old. Oh and wow. Every time we think she's about to cross over the rainbow bridge, she just gets another, you know, energy. You know, she's like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. Like, you don't need to take me to that place. I don't like to go. Ever. Right. Yeah. No, no, you know? I'm good. No, 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 no. Okay. See my tail. It's wagging. Because the thing is we have this other dog we have. So that's Riley. We have Murphy who is a, a 10 year old lab. So he's no spring chicken himself. And I think Riley is thinking to herself, I can't leave them alone with him. Yeah. Um, that's you know, because she's like, I, he can't do the job that I do. Um, which is true. That dog is, uh, she's a very special dog. Oh, yeah. Um, so there we go. Well, tell me about Out of the Clear Blue Sky. I mean, uh, betrayal, revenge, and healing. I mean, this is this and, seems like it's got it all. It sounds kind of dark when you say it that way, but it's, um, it's also about reinvention. It's about motherhood, friendship, um, changing gears when your kid goes off to college. So this is the story of Lily Silva. She's a nurse on Cape Cod. She has a pretty great life. She adores her only son, who unfortunately is going to college in Montana, 2,200 oh, wow. miles away. Uh, the wretched boy chose Montana. And, um, and she's put her whole heart into raising this son and making this family and this beautiful home uh, that she, she bought from her dad. Of, you know, she's the third generation to live there. And, um, and she's, you know, she's trying to tell herself she's excited for the next phase of life. But like so many of us moms, we, we have this love hate with our kids growing up, you know, I mean, the goal is to raise them and have them be adults, but your heart says, no, stay with mommy. <laughs> so anyway, he's going off to school and, uh, the night before his graduation, when she's trying to, um, tell her, um, her husband that it's okay. We'll, we'll be fine. She finds out that he's having an affair. Ooh. He tells her and uh, he's like, Oh, no, actually I'm going to be leaving you um, for another woman who's much younger, much oh, richer oh, oh. and much hotter. Ouch! <laughs> I know a, it's like the that's... trifecta of doom. Right. <laughs> um, and Lily, she's heartbroken. She's stunned. She can't believe he really means it. And, um, and then she gets really, really angry because they have five weeks until their son goes off to football camp at the University of, of uh, Montana. And they have to pretend that all is well because they want their son to have this last happy summer with them. And it's making her a little crazy. Oh, she's, yeah, I can uh, imagine. I can yeah, imagine. She's getting her petty revenge here and there as best she can. You know, if she has to live with her cheating ex, she's going to spit into his wine. <laughs> oh, oh, well. well, I'm sure she could do much worse than that. Oh, yes. <laughs> she has uh, quite a few little tricks up her sleeve. And it's funny. One of the ways that I, I got some of those ideas was I put a question out on Facebook. Have you ever tried to get revenge on your, on your ex or soon to be ex? And people were so delighted to share their stories of the little things they had done to make that cheating spouse's life just a little worse. <laughs> Nothing terribly illegal, but <laughs> so it, it was really interesting. <laughs> Can you share one of those things you learned on Facebook? Well, uh, one woman said she put Nair in her husband's body wash and shampoo. 
<laughs> so he just gradually starts losing hair and I had to use that in the book. So, um, and, and also Brad is a hypochondriac. Um, so Lily being a nurse gets to seed his mind with all sorts of fears about his health when he starts losing his arm hair. <laughs> That's great. I mean, there's gotta be a little humor in there, right? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I think this is actually a very funny book and, and Lily's anger towards Brad and just, you know, it goes really deep and it's, it's very poignant and heartbreaking in addition to being like really fun and empowering at times because, you know, she's built not just this marriage, but the family, she loves her in-laws and holidays are always at her house. And she always felt so proud of her family and it doesn't seem fair that one person can break the whole family. And that was um, something I heard repeated a lot when I talked to my friends who were in similar situations, because it does seem really common. Your kids head for school and uh, maybe you've just been co-parents for the past umpteen years and you kind of forgot to work on your marriage or keep your marriage important. So, um, I, I, I would say about half of the couples in my friend circle, which is pretty large, I have to admit, but half of them did get divorced um, when the kids headed off. Yeah. So it's, um, it's really heartbreaking, but, um, but it also creates a new chance at life, whether you like it or not, you know? You yeah. It's interesting. You say that I did, um, you know, years ago I worked, um, and I still do some work as a, as a, as a consumer insights consultant. So I I'll moderate, you know, research studies, you know, in-person mm -hmm. discussions. And, and I was hired by a brand, uh, it was Pons actually. They were trying to kind of reinvent themselves and they had a tie-in years ago. There was a, a, a made for TV movie. I think it was called, um, it was based on a book called the starter wife. And oh, yes. um, if you remember that book and the movie starred, I think it was Connie Britton, um, and Pons wanted to do a, a tie-in with it because they wanted to change the um, the perception of the brand, which it really was rooted in like, you know, older people. Yeah, um, your grandmother. Brand, your grandmother, exactly. And they're, you know, the brand manager's like, I don't want to work on the grandmother brand anymore. Um, actually wound up being a mistake trying to change the positioning so drastically, but that's a story for another podcast. Um, but I was doing this, this research with women who um, were divorced, um, divorced in their 40s and dating actively in their 40s. And it was fascinating to learn just, you know, after the initial shock of kind of going through that huge life change, their, you know, their sort of um, way, not way out of it, but but their their perception changed, their outlook changed to, hey, I have a second chance at life right now. All mm -hmm. those things I didn't get to do when I was raising my kids or when I was married to, you know, my former spouse, um, I'm getting a chance to do now. And it's almost like they wound up being one of the better things that ever happened to him. And I hate to make it sound trivial like that, but, but mm -hmm. that's, that's how, that's how they were sharing it with me. Um, and it was, it was pretty interesting to learn. Um, yeah, yeah, I do think that a lot of, a lot of people find that whether they wanted the split or not, you know, life is not done with them yet. And it might take a turn that you would never have predicted or never been able to manufacture in your previous relationship but you you can now and yeah. um you know i have i have friends who are happily partnered after their divorce and i have friends who say no i'm fine on my own i'm actually really enjoying this yeah and it does take a while and in the book uh in out of the clear blue sky lily 
does find that much to her surprise, she likes living alone. She's never really lived alone. She, she got uh, pregnant very unexpectedly young. And so she and her husband got married while she was just out of college. So essentially she's never lived alone. And here she is 41, son's in Montana. Her husband is across town with his hot new wife in their fabulous big house on the water. And, um, and she starts to find kind of almost, it's a, almost a surprise of like, I, I kind of, I kind of like this. Yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. I have some freedom that I didn't realize I didn't have before. Yeah. And, a little, uh, little tale of self-discovery almost. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it's very common. Um, you mentioned your, your, your kids were um, in college and I think it's very common for us moms and dads to send the kids off and then think, and now what are we going to do? You know, what we're done, we did it. We raised the kids, they're off. Um, And so now what will I focus on? Because they don't need me as much as they did before. So I think it can be an exciting time. And I remember when my daughter went to college, um, she and I are very close. And I thought like, oh my God, the days of my baby living at home are over. I was pretty heartbroken. I cried so hard on the drive home. (laughs) And then I um, very happily uh, went on a European book tour. So I highly recommend European book tours (laughs) (laughs) or some kind of trip, you know, something something to celebrate the fact that you did it. And I remember just that happy shock of feeling like life isn't done with me yet. Yeah. You know, I, I was yeah. 49 at the time and I thought there's still so much in front of me that I didn't really think about because you're so focused on the kids until they get to that age. Yeah. I mean, I, I know when my kids went away to school, um, uh, you know, which was two years ago, so they're going to be juniors. Uh, we, you know, we have, we have triplets. They all left at the same time. That's and, <laughs> and I, I felt lost. Like I really had an, I don't want to call it an identity crisis, but um, I, you know, I was such an active, there were such a, such a big part of my life. I mean, every weekend going to, whether it was hockey or drama or volleyball mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, just during the week, uh, just, just helping them, getting them around places. Right. And then, and then all of a sudden it's, they're gone. Right. Um, I didn't know. I honestly, I had like, I felt like I had way too much time on my hands. I had, <laughs> I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, so I just threw myself into work and, yeah. and, and doing more of these and, um, and writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, and now they're home for the summer and, uh, you that's know, its own thing, right? It's it's, it's, like, its own oh, thing, and I'm kind of waiting back. for them. I'm kind of waiting for them to go back. Uh, <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like I like not having um, <laughs> to do the dishes every single day. Right, right. I know <laughs> what you mean. Um, I I wrote an essay um, about the empty nest and how at first you just destroyed. You know, I mean, I actually lay on my son's bed. He's the younger child and sniffed his pillow and cried. It was like my most pathetic mom moment ever. And, um, and a couple of weeks later, you know, my husband and I started eating later in the day in the evening because, you know, we didn't have to feed a kid who then had to go do homework and, 
you know, you come home from practice, there was like a window that we had for family meals. And now we're just more casual. And, and we're like, hey, do you want to do you want to go away this weekend? And there's no, no calendar there's that you have to check. It's just just you. And um, so like the first part of empty nesting is despair. But the second part is like unfettered joy and freedom. Yeah. Know? Absolutely. And it's a new phase for marriage too, I think. Um, yeah, it can be. Whether it's, you know, you reconnect with your spouse a little bit more or you reevaluate and maybe leave. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's a crossroads. It's a crossroads. So that is for sure. Tell me about your career in advertising. Uh, you mentioned you worked in advertising. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was an English major in college and there's not a lot we can do in the real world. Um, so I was lucky to get a, a job at a little firm in New Haven, Connecticut, and then um, met my husband. We moved to the city and I worked at a couple agencies there. And I love I loved advertising. I ended up back in Connecticut um, with, a, with an agency where I stayed for, I don't know, six or seven years. And that was so much fun. It is in a sense like writing fiction. Mm -hmm. It was really good practice for being a novelist. Um, you have to write on deadline. You have to write prose that grabs people's attention. Um, you have to keep their attention. And uh, I, I thought it was really fun. I had a lot of varied accounts. I did like insurance and tourism and food. And um, so it was, it was never boring. Yeah, and, yeah. and I really, I really did enjoy it. I was a copywriter and account yeah. exec. Yeah. I, uh, I, I started my career in advertising, um, in New York and then, uh, and then wound up in Connecticut, um, doing digital. Um, so I, uh, it yeah. can, can definitely relate. It's a, it's a great field. I loved, I loved my advertising days. I think the, the business is so different now. It um, is, it is. I, I don't think I'd enjoy working. Do. Yeah. I don't think I'd enjoy working in it now, but, but back then, I mean, um, I was helping, you know, calculate GRPs and, and TRPs with, uh, with a calculator. And, uh, <laughs> right. Know, we right. barely, we barely had computers when I first started, I know, I know. We say, but I, it's amazing. It's amazing how fast the world's changed. Yeah. Um, but it was, um, it was after I, I left advertising to stay at home with my kids. And when I, um, I was, they were, my daughter was, starting kindergarten, my son was in nursery school. And I thought, oh, you know, pretty soon they'll both be in all day school. And what will I be doing um, while my firefighter husband works two jobs and lots of overtime? You know, I can't just vacuum the floors and make cookies, which, you know, is very rewarding <laughs> to itself for a person like me. But I have to like, you know, I have to bring something to the table too. I can't make him uh, carry all the financial burden of the family. So I thought, well, maybe I could write a book. And um, it was, my husband was very sweet. He, um, he's profoundly dyslexic and he, um, he had to test for different fire departments and he was pretty bad at test taking. And I happen to be very good at test taking. Like he has all the life real world smarts and I have, you know, the how to take a standardized exam smarts. Yeah. Um, so I helped him uh, study and, and read the materials. And um, and so when he got uh, his, his dream job at the firehouse that he wanted, um, he said, you know, you helped make my dream come true. Now it's your turn. So quit your job. I had a part-time job at a hospital. 
and write your book. And, and so I did. And um, I've been, I've been a writer ever since, which is not something that I planned. Um, you can't really plan to be a novelist and make a living, you know, it, it happens or it doesn't, it's really up to the readers who make you a novelist, you know, people, if they buy your books, you have a career. If they don't, you know, you, you don't make money off of it. Um, so I've been really lucky. The timing of my books has, has generally been great. And, um, this is my 22nd, but if you had asked me when I was 40, if I would have written 22 books, I'd have said, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, that's, that sounds really hard. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's a lot of writing in a short period of time too. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I write a book a year Yeah. and, um, and I, you know, I needed that, that amount of time. Um, I have colleagues who write much faster than I do. And I'm always very envious of that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a great and surprising career. Well, I want to uh, to to switch gears a bit and uh, ask some fun questions. I ask everybody uh, first up being, right. um, what were some of your favorite TV shows when you were a child? I loved Star Trek, the original. It was in reruns by yeah, Live Long and Prosper, <laughs> baby. Um, I loved that show. I loved Mash. Um, that's one of the reasons I wanted to be a doctor. I yeah. didn't, you know, didn't want to be, uh, an author. I thought, Oh, I'll be, a, I'll be a pediatric surgeon. Um, but I didn't have the right kind of intellect for that. Um, what else? I, I remember Saturday nights, I was a, a babysitter from the age of 11 on Saturday nights was, um, the Dukes of Hazard, the love boat and fantasy Island. Oh, that was, that's a, that's a triple, you know, the trifecta of my childhood yeah. was summarized in that last <laughs> sentence. There you go. Right, that was our love weekend. <laughs> all three of those shows. Um, I don't know if the Dukes of Hazard uh, still, um, you know, holds up. I, I, I venture to say probably no. Um, yeah, I'm gonna. But Love Boat, I started to rewatch during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and it is as amazingly cheesy as it was mm. back then. But I Delicious. love it. I yeah. love it. And Fantasy it's... Island too, um, oh, which yeah. went over my head as I was a kid. But. Um, you know, it's uh, it's just two great shows, two great yeah. shows. Yeah. Uh, Mash too. I mean, that was a show. My grandfather was a, a surgeon in World War II. And really? He, yeah, he loved Mash. He oh. loved Mash. So I remember watching the finale with him. Um, it was a couple of years before he died, but you know, for years that was the the Mash finale was the watermark of you know what excellent TV ratings were. Yeah. You know, it was like the finale of MASH in the Super Bowl were like the highest rated, you know, programs yeah. ever. And now, of course, it's the media landscape has changed so much. But right. Um, right. Gosh, I remember that show. That was such a great show, Matt, because it, yeah. it took you in so many different directions. It was it was funny, um, but set in this backdrop of war, which is tragic. Mm -hmm. um, people died. Um, and it was like deep, like they had those very deep episodes whenever that like psychologist guy would come on. It was mm -hmm. um you know, they were, they were pretty heavy, but that was, that was a great show. Lasted yeah, a lot yeah. longer than the Korean war too. It did. Um, <laughs> the magic of Hollywood. Um, how about music? What, what uh, artists would we find on some of your playlists? Assuming you have some playlists. Well, uh, Bruno Mars, uh, the boss I'm, I'm faithful to the bands of my, uh, my college years. Um, you two, uh, Simple Minds, that's going back a ways. Uh, David Bowie, 
Um, Bowie was great. There's there's a documentary coming out about Bowie. Um, I can't wait to see it. Oh, yeah. God, that looks so good. I saw that it in promo yesterday. What a genius on he, so he many could just fronts. change himself every yeah. every decade um, and I still know. stay relevant. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd say the same thing about you too. I mean, they they they've never stayed you know constant. I mean, they've always evolved. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And you know, some fans hate them for it, but I I love it. I love all their stuff. Yeah, yeah, same. I love all their stuff. And Simple Minds too. And now I'm gonna get the Breakfast Club in my head. Um, <laughs> I know you're uh, the lover of Cape Cod. What are some of your favorite places to go on the Cape? Whether it's uh, restaurants, beaches, what do you like to do? Well, our house is not far from Coast Guard and Nosset Light Beach. Um, so I love to ride my bike down to Nosset Light and uh, they have a little path down to the ocean. And every time you go, it's just so shockingly beautiful no matter what the weather or tide um i love boat meadow beach in east ham which is a very gentle small bayside beach and um i love provincetown i'd be hard pressed to find a town more satisfying than provincetown in terms of beautiful homes gardens the best food art galleries very colorful people because it was um, a haven for the LGBTQ community sure. decades and decades ago. Um, and the views, you know, it's just, it's, you can't, can't see anything but beauty all around you in P-Town. And yeah. then I like um, the Land Ho in Orleans, which I included in the book. Um, the Land Ho is this crowded little restaurant in Orleans, and it's decorated with uh, signs of local businesses. And so my characters have to go to the hoe. Um, I brought a copy of the book to the owner the other day and he was so excited. You know, I said, I'm an author and this is my book and the land hoe is in it. And I wanted to give you a copy. He's like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Um, I, um, I, I put uh, the Chatham Squire in a book, um, oh, yeah. but, I, but I changed the name of it. So it wasn't the Chatham Squire. It was called the Bleeding Seal. Um, you know, because it's the Cape, it's Chatham and, you know, there's a few bleeding seals there. That's Uh, the shark capital for anyone who's not familiar with Chatham. Have you ever done a signing at the yellow umbrella? Uh, I have, and I'm doing one, uh, in a couple of weeks at where the sidewalk ends. Oh yeah. So there's the two bookstores. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the yellow umbrella was maybe my first book signing. In fact, I made the mistake of doing a book signing there on a very sunny day. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe five people were in town mm-hmm. that day because yeah. it's, you know, on a sunny day in Chatham, everyone's at mm-hmm. the beach. You have um, to like bring a puppy, you know, or something. Yeah, like that's that. a good idea. I, should, I had three <laughs> kids with me then they were no help. Um, you didn't put them to work. <laughs> well, I tried, but they're somewhat introverted. I'll tell um, you, Mike, a funny story. Um, one of my early book signings, I think my son was five and it was at a Borders, which is telling you how long ago it was. Oh yeah, sure. And I was sitting there in the middle of the store and you know how people are afraid to approach because then they might have to buy the book. So my little boy, um, without any prompting, just ran around the store and said, my mommy wrote a book. Will you buy it? And I sold out in like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I reminded him of that. I'm like, hey, if you're not doing anything. <laughs> See, I'm going to I have to pressure my kids to have grandkids so they can do that because I, yeah. I don't think, you know, 20 year olds going up saying, hey, my dad wrote a book. Like to buy it. <laughs> it takes place here in the Cape. This place called the Bleeding Seal. You love it. Um, 
how do you feel when you're staring at a blank piece of paper and a, your job is to write something that day? What, 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 what emotions do you experience? Uh, you know, I, I'm going to admit that writing the first draft of a book is incredibly hard for me. And um, I feel like just write something. And even if you delete it all tomorrow, maybe it will spark an idea. So you'll, you'll spend the day writing 10 pages and you'll come away with one sentence, you know? So I just tell myself, keep going, keep trudging through. What I love is the idea phase where I round out all the characters and kind of make a map of where I think the book will go. And then the revising, I love revising a book. And to me, that's when my, my manuscript becomes a book that people would pay for. So it's very common for me to feel like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, fix this. This is boring and dumb. I always say before I love my books, I have to hate them. And it's now I've written enough books where I know that's just my process. And from that self-doubt, I really, I pay a lot of attention to the details of the book and, and how to make it better. I'm really hard on myself. And that has served me very well as an author. Yeah. 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 No doubt. No doubt. Um, uh, what lesson, thinking back to that first book um, that you wrote, what lesson about publishing do you feel like you learned or had to learn the hard way? Um, I think that what I learned is that most of us don't have one book that makes us, you know, most, most novelists don't get to write Carrie and have it be, um, you know, a a life-changing book. It's definitely a long haul career. And, um, you know, this is my 22nd book. I hope to write more. Again, it's always up to the readers. You know, if they sell well, you'll get another contract. I, I also didn't know how little publishers might do for marketing. Like, you know, you mean, wait, no, there's not going to be a billboard in Times Square for me. Um, so at first, you know, like the marketing is we, we printed you and you're in a catalog that we send to booksellers, you know, um, and that's it. <laughs> there's no book tour. There's, right. you know, there's no ad in the New York times. So um so there is definitely like an organic sense to selling books, an organic aspect of that, where you just have to write a book where a reader will say, I loved this book, you should read it. And that's how you become a best-selling author. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the readers help you there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and last one up, uh, if you could write a letter to your younger self, um, you know, the, the person who never dreamed of writing, you know, 22 books and, and you got more inside you. Um, what words of advice would you give your younger self? If you could whisper in that ear, uh, that younger person or, or write a letter, uh, what'd you tell uh, you, the younger Christian? I think I would say uh, you have more going on than you realize. You know, I was not a self-confident kid. I, um, you know, was very much in the shadow of an older sibling. Um, and I just thought like, I didn't feel very special or talented or anything like that. Um, And it was really only when I started focusing on something that I loved, whether it was my children or my garden or writing books where I thought, you know, 
you can, you can do this, you know, you, you just have to be determined and focused and, you know, a little talented maybe. Um, but mostly it's hard work and you're more than capable of doing it. Yeah. You need that encouragement. I think authors need encouragement. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. everybody needs encouragement, but we do need a little external validation, but this notion that, you know, you've got more going on than you realize. I mean, that's something that really speaks to me because I think a lot of us, you know, do suffer from imposter syndrome um, at some point in time. Um, but I had a friend come up to me, you know, in, in recently and said, you know, I wish, I wish you weren't so hard on yourself. I wish you could see you the way that I see you. Yeah. And that just meant, I mean, that meant the world to me when I heard, you know, this person say that. Yeah. Um, we happened to be at, at an event and, you know, I was working a room like, you know, like I, like I belong there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's, there is this element of like faking it. You yeah. think like, I'm going to pretend to be outgoing and charming at this book talk I'm giving. And then lo and behold, you actually were outgoing and charming, you know? Yeah. And you think like, no one's going to like me or they'll see through me, you know, that whole uh, fake thing. I remember um, like, I was always so surprised if I got a starred review and um, I'd say like, are they, are they sure? You know, are you sure it's a starred review? And uh, so my husband has this thing when I get a starred review now, which I've been very lucky and like every book of mine has gotten a starred review from somewhere. Um, he'll say, you tricked him again, honey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think like, that's how I view it, you know, like what a lucky accident. <laughs> yeah. No, than, it's, yeah, it's a great book, you know. Oh, that's, that's great. And I love, I love his part of your story too. Um, where it basically says to you, now it's your turn. I mean, I love yeah. that. That's what yeah. I'm going to name this episode. Now it's your turn. Oh, that's lovely. Um, so there you go. You've inspired me. Um, but it's funny as I was, I was talking to um, an author eh, probably last week and she was telling me, you know, the hard, same, same things you said, you know, didn't realize how, how little the publisher would do, how you've got to really do a lot of the marketing at yourself. But, you know, she struggled with, hey, you know, I'm kind of introverted, you know, <laughs> it's in, and, you know, when you do it, you actually have to go into a room if you're at a signing, if you're at some kind of event and really own the room, like you have mm -hmm. to. And the way I think about it is, hey, you know, no one asked anyone to write a book. Um, it's, it, these ideas come to us and, and we, you know, we, we write them, like we, we put them down on paper. We think other people, they're good enough that other people should read. So if, if that's how the book comes to be, then when it's out, you have to act like, Hey, this, this is something you all should read. And, and this is the, you know, I'm, I'm the one who brought it to you and, you know, you almost have to like, and it's uncomfortable for me because I try to be humble. But mm -hmm. you almost have to put humility like on a shelf somewhere and really kind of, you know, go for it. Like, like you said, yeah. maybe fake it, but. Um... Just, you know, believe in, in the book that you wrote. And one of the things that I do um, is I reread the book right before it comes out so that I'm, it's fresh in my mind because, you know, for the past year, I've been working on other things, it's been kind of a chaotic year um, uh, with a wedding and a baby and a death in the family and, you know, like life. Um, so I want to, I want to be fresh with the book again. And, and, so, and I'll be like, oh, that was funny. You know, like I'll make myself laugh or I'll appreciate a sentence. And I think, yeah, yeah. You know, that's what you have to own when you go to yeah. the bookstore and say, I wrote this book. One of the things I say to my readers is I wrote this book for you. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to love it. Have this emotional journey. 
and, and close it and feel like that was time well spent. I feel great because I read that book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the book we are uh, talking about today is Out of the Clear Blue Sky. Uh, the author is Kristen Higgins. Uh, Kristen, where, um, where are you going to be promoting this? I imagine you've got some book signings coming up. Any, any dates you want to yeah. promote? Well, in Connecticut on June 7th, I'll be at RJ Julia in Madison. Actually, I'll be at the church, um, first congregational church where, um, cause I'm, because I'm a local author, I get a lot of folks coming. And so they bumped me up to the church. I'm quite honored. Um, and then I'll be in Plainville, Mass, at An Unlikely Story, which is um, a bookstore owned by Jeff Kinney, who wrote Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my kids love his books. Yeah. And those the, the bookstore is absolutely beautiful. I'll be um, at the Ashland Library on June 8th. Then I'll be in New York City um, with Lynn Liao Butler and Samaya Dave. And we're talking about family-oriented fiction at Barnes & Noble in Union Square. And then I'll be up on the Cape doing four or five bookstores up there. Great. So all my appearances are listed under appearances on my website, right. which is kristenhiggins.com. Uh, so you got kristenhiggins.com. Any social media that people, uh, if they want to follow you, can follow you at? Yeah, I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook. I have a special group for my devoted readers um, on Facebook and Twitter and I'm even on TikTok now. Um, I know it's just, just videos about the book or reposting people's um, videos on the book. I discovered the power of TikTok when a young woman reviewed my book and just showed herself crying because it was real last year's book was a real tearjerker and sales suddenly spiked. And no I was kidding. like, what? what happened here? And someone, one of my publicists said, you're, you're on TikTok. You know, one of the weepers got you on TikTok. So, um, so that, as you said, media changes so much. You have no idea what's going to, you know, give your book a boost or get it attention, but all my social media stuff is listed on my website. So start there, kristenhiggins.com. There you go. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your day to, to chat with me and, and our listeners on Uncork- Uncorking a Story. I almost forgot the name of my own show. <laughs> I really appreciate it, was, it. Oh, it was such a pleasure. I really like talking to you, Mike. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Robbie Samuels hosts the On the Schmooze podcast. Robbie, tell listeners what to expect from the show. Since 2015, I've interviewed entrepreneurs who overcame challenges to achieve success in their field or industry. Tune in to On the Schmooze to listen as I ask deep questions to elicit untold stories about leadership and networking. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at ontheschmooze.com or on marketingpodcast.net or just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You heard them. Go subscribe.